0: Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, the discussion goes into travel influencers and how their mass following, in some cases, is destroying incredible places that we like to visit. We also get an update on Graham Field's stolen credit card scandal, and then there's a bunch of fluff as well. <laughs> but before we get going, I want to give a shout-out to some people that helped the show incredibly this past month with their support of $50 or more. Randy Gerhalt Siri and Andrew Siri, Joe Sago, Halvor Foss, Jeffrey Zelinsky, Jesse Saint Laurent, and Saranchu Prakash. Thank you all very much. You've been a great help for us this month. Hey, support of fifty dollars or more gets you name here at the show, like what I've just done there. But we'd love your monthly support on our Patreon account. Drop by the website adventureriderradio.com and click on support. This episode here of Raw is supported by freshtracks.co.uk, facilitating adventurous conversations. Now, here we go, Adventure Rider Radio Raw for March 2019, Season 4. Hi. And that about wraps things up for this month's Raw. Um <laughs>
1: Hey, that was a good joke,
0: (laughs) Tim. What do you mean you slept through it? What are you talking about? (laughs) Okay, from the Canoe West Media studio on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, it is March 2019 and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. This episode of Raw is brought to you in part by... FreshTracks.co.uk, facilitating adventurous conversations, much like I hope we are doing right here. FreshTracks.co.uk. Thank you, FreshTracks. My name is Jim Martin, and today the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular esteemed Overland co-host. and I'm going to start with Graham Field, because Graham just got up, is having trouble with his computer, and um, he's in some strange home. Graham?
2: Yeah, somebody's home. I'm, uh, I'm in Hungary. And uh, on the border of Slovakia and Austria, a little village. Uh, and I'm in this guest house, which I chose late last night on Booking.com, because my specifics were it had to have safe parking, it had to have Wi-Fi, and it had to have coffee. And we went to go to the coffee. I said, yeah, we've got a coffee machine. This was last night. She said, we've got a coffee machine. I said, excellent. She said, did you bring your coffee? It's so, like, well, no, when it says you've got a coffee machine, I just assume. when it said it had a bed, I assumed it came with a pillow and duvets. But, <laughs> so um, anyway, I hunted around this morning, found some coffee. Apparently it's quite strong. So let's see how long it lasts.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a Monty <laughs> Python skit. <laughs> That's great. So, but,
2: but, but briefly, the reason I'm in Budapest is, I'm and gonna, I'm going to make this story as brief as possible, last time I spoke to you, I um, I was in India, flew back, and which was the same day the broadcast, and found back uh, came back to find that a friend had passed away, which is of course always a bummer. And I was only at a sixty fifth birthday party last summer, and. Whenever that happens to me and a friend passes, I always question and reassess my life. And am I do, what am I doing with it? And is it OK? And what are you saving for? Because you never know what's around the corner. So that combined with the fact that, as you know, I sold my truck and I did have a vehicle. And my mum was feeling a bit down, February blues. And she had and the operation, wasn't getting around. Brilliant. So I combined all these things and I impulsively bought a convertible Mustang to drive her back to Bulgaria. <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. A convertible Mustang. Jeez. You
2: know, this is a V8 version, uh, yeah. I gather. Actually, no. Oh, was it? well? The, the criteria for the vehicle to replace the truck was it had to be four-wheel drive. It had to be European, so it was easy for parts, and it had to be good in the winter. So I bought a rear-wheel drive convertible, which is made in America. <laughs> but, but is a V6.
0: I think he said it had a V6 in it, which, you know, I don't know. A lot of people's opinion when you buy a Mustang with a V6, what's the point, right? I mean, the whole Exactly. Thing is, <laughs> it's supposed to be a muscle car. I'm going to move on while Graham gets his reconnection there and, and move on to Grant. Grant Johnson in British Columbia. Grant, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. I was even thinking about skiing today. The weather out here is absolutely beautiful. It's gorgeous. they have had fresh snow and everything, but I had to do raw tonight. So I was fun. Uh, well, actually yeah. I wasn't. I always look forward to doing raw. Well, it's always great fun.
0: And it's, it's, I mean, it's warming up too. We're looking at a little oh, bit yeah. warm weather today. So I'm, I'm pretty it's excited. looking
1: good. I'm just debating when I'm going to get the bike out of, out of the snowbound garage. I'm thinking, hmm, really soon now. Really soon now. Yeah.
0: yeah. I hope this, uh, I hope this picks up and, and, and on to Sam Manicom. Sam, you are, you're at home, right? In the UK? Hey everybody! Yeah, I'm
3: here. Just I tell you what, the, the storms this um, this last few days have been absolutely monsters. I'm sitting here at the moment and it's gusting to 70 miles an hour, um, which for, for you know for little old Exeter that's that's pretty significant. But the sad thing is, um, we've just been away and um, the bikes were blown over. Um,
4: oh,
3: no. Yeah, real domino effect. Birgit's bike was blown into mine, and mine was blown into our neighbor's gleaming triumph. And it's our bike's not too bad, but his bike is a mess.
0: Well, hang on a second. So, you're you're kind of safe here because it was Birgit's bike that blew into yours, forcing your bike into theirs. You're not at fault here, Sam.
3: No, but really? I wasn't. I wasn't quick enough to say to our neighbour. Um, take a photograph with Birgit's bike having knocked into mine. And Mm. um, so we've only got photographs of my bike knocked into his. Mm. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's been absolutely brilliant about it. You know, Um, you couldn't wish for a better neighbor. He's just been very cool and calm and matter of fact about it. And you just think, yeah, there are people who would be throwing hissy fits about it. But more cheerfully, do you guys remember where you were when you were 12, 13, 14 years old. And the reason that I'm saying that is because where we've just been away, um, back to, we went to the place where I lived um, uh, f- uh, for those years and I haven't been back since. And it was a really interesting exercise to go to see places that I completely forgotten about and all of these memories just flooding back. You know, things that I hadn't thought about for, well, you know, at least 10 years. Um but, you know, little things like leaning over the side of a bridge and my glasses falling out of my top pocket into the river. And then and this is in the middle of the winter. And then spending three hours wading around in the river because I dare not go home without my glasses. And, uh, yeah, just other magic stuff. It's been a really nice weekend.
0: Wow, yeah, that's nice. to Offset your weather and your, your motorcycle mishap. That's, uh, mm. that's too bad. O- over to Australia, Shirley, Hardy Ricks, Brian Ricks. Um, it's, a- it's afternoon, isn't it?
4: It is. It's afternoon. We've just tossed into autumn and it's only 20 degrees here today. Very pleasant.
0: Mm. Mm. The the switch has flipped, has it?
5: Well, yes, it's nice. Uh, 20 degrees and um, I've been out on the bike or bikes um, most days actually, so bad luck, mate. Um, We're... um, I just did a 600K uh, ride through some – oh, a road that's got about a 1,000 corners on it. Oh, Oh. wonderful. Just wonderful with some friends. And, um, yeah, life's good over here at the moment. Mind you, our winter's not as bad as yours, so we should be able to ride all through winter. Uh But having said that, Um, we have some really um, vicious fires that have um, been going in our national parks. So even though we had this beautiful ride, there was this eerie um, haze of smoke everywhere. And uh, it's it's really um, quite dangerous. We had some friends um, who were travelling on motorbikes, some international people, and uh, they'd been in Tasmania and amongst all the bushfires. And uh, we sat down and we were talking about it. And I said how dangerous it was, and I don't think they really realised how quick a bushfire can take hold and um, not only destroy property but take lives. So have to be careful. Jackie Forno and, and Nick Brown, who oh, I'm really?
0: sure
4: uh, all of you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. fantastic. Mm. Well, I had a, I had an interesting visit today, actually, from someone who listens to the show named Bill, and you guys probably know him because he's he's from he's from Kellyville, Australia. You know Bill. You. <laughs> I mean how many people are in Australia, right?
4: Oh, only twenty five million. No, I'm sure we've met him.
0: Yay. Oh, that's really cool. Bill Bill came up to, to visit. He sent me messages on, on Facebook and um, it was really cool. You know, he, he was uh, he had been out on a trip with um rawhide adventures he it sounds like he had an amazing adventure he had quite the story to tell about that and we sat and had coffee and uh, in Canada's what they call canada's uh, coffee shop which is tim hortons is a place i don't go to very <gasps> much did you
4: have a boston cream donut oh,
0: no no did oh. it. But i did get an apple fritter and they're i gotta be honest they're not very good i see and tim hortons doesn't impress me a whole bunch but i'm not a big fan but um
5: off show. Oh, no.
1: I so
0: won't be yeah so that's uh, that's what was happening for me today. Hey we, we, we got a uh, we got a message uh, an email from um, Hans Nietzsche and um, he was asking about wind noise, and I think this is interesting. He's riding a Gen 2 KLR650, and he says the wind noise is driving him nuts. He's tried the different uh, screens and a riser kit, and now he's considering taking off the whole front fairing and cowling off the bike, so he just gets clean air on his head um, like he gets when he's standing on his pegs. I assume when he stands on his pegs, um, he can uh, can ride without the noise. Noise is a big problem, I think, particularly on some bikes – but um, maybe we just go through this quickly and, and give some tips. Um, I'm I'm just going to say one of the first things you want to check with this is your helmet itself. Because helmets sometimes will have the little parts for the the visor and stuff. I don't know if you guys have run into this that will rattle a little bit. And um, even when you get a half decent airflow uh, flowing over your helmet, you get that rattling.
1: Yeah. Cheaper helmets, too, have very poor sound control. Mm-hmm. They're not as well insulated. They're not as well padded. They don't fit as tightly around the chin and they don't have the uh, skirt underneath the chin, for instance. And I find that that skirt makes a big difference in noise on my helmet. And I'm wearing a uh, Touritech helmet. So that's something to watch yeah. for. Yeah,
5: it's, it's, it's a really funny one. I've, I've um, had people who um, have bikes that some people had no problem with and some have a lot of problem with. And it can be the height of the rider, but sometimes it's just the helmet you're wearing with um, – Uh, the aerodynamics of the Helmet 2 Grant is the other thing that you have to look at they've got a lot better as time has gone on, I can remember wearing an old HA helmet and it was that noisy I've tried earplugs I've tried um, earplugs you just buy from the chemist, I had earplugs moulded earplugs and um, to protect my hearing this might sound a bit strange but um, I listen to music as well and it's the different variants of pitch and I've noticed riding uh, some different bikes that um, you do, uh, when you get that same droning wind noise, that's what affects your hearing more than anything. If you get change of pitch, that's, that's better. But having said that, I, um, I've tried different screens, I've tried everything. And I'm sorry, uh, hands, but you know, it's just one of those things. I, firstly, I would try, um, just, uh, standard ear, earplugs and try that. See how you go with that first. And I, I know people who have taken the whole screens off their BMW GSs uh, for that very reason. So, yeah. yeah, it's not an easy one. Yeah,
1: there's lots of problems with it because the, the angle of the windshield, the height of the rider. I've had people adjust their windshield so that they're very vertical, hoping to block the wind. And yet, often that's actually the wrong way around. If you tilt it back more, you get more smooth airflow. When it's more stuck up like a dark barn door, it gets you a lot more turbulence, and that's something to really watch for. So try adjusting the windscreen in both directions, not just up to block the wind. Try making it come down more. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can also get little deflectors that go on top of the windscreen. Mm -hmm. There's several manufacturers that make something to make it taller, and you can fiddle with the angle on them and that can I absolutely I tried one of those reflectors
2: right I used yeah. uh, cuz I used to struggle with it on the I had a KTM adventure 950 for a while and that was the only one and I struggled with the wind noise put a little extension on the top but I actually cut I bought another Another shield, cut it down, put it on the first shield, tried a little deflexable, but you could yeah, keep changing. And it's just one of those things you keep moving. Is that better? Is it not better? Is it better? Standing up moving. That's the only one. And I never really I got rid of the bike in the end, not because of the wind noise, because I kept falling off it. But um it was uh, but, really <laughs> <laughs> those
0: bikes that aren't um, broke are terrible. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um that's the only one. I've obviously ridden a lot of KLRs, and I never really had a huge problem with wind noise on that. But um then again, followed Motorhead for 30 years. So Those are a lot of things I don't hear anymore. That's really my <laughs> way of coping with
1: it. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of earplugs. I go along with Brian on that. Um, I used to remember riding without earplugs, and at the end of a long, full, hard day's ride, everything sounded a little odd. And I don't get that now with earplugs. But I think the... Uh, the wind noise generally, the general noise of the bike and the road and everything all combines, and it's not good for your hearing. Um, I think in the UK, there's even a law, um, if you work um, by, if your work involves riding a motorcycle, you must wear earplugs by law. That's part of the health and safety regulation. So, it's something to think about. Hans doesn't say if he's wearing earplugs or not. He also doesn't say how tall he is. So I was wondering if Graham, with his KLR experience, had any comments on KLR specifically not really hand sounds tall it sounds like a tall name so it might be <laughs> <laughs> <Have> <laughs> but, hands um,
2: no generally and i've ridden klr's with extended screens with regular screens and when i rode the one back the old ratty one back last summer from bulgaria back to the uk it didn't have a screen on it at all um and, it, and I, I'll go back to helmets. I used to wear cheap Kberg helmets and now sort of upgraded to a lovely Shubeth C4, and it makes a world difference. If I put on the Kberg now, it feels like I'm not wearing a helmet, not in a good way, but just in a general noise way. So a good helmet really does mute a lot of that road noise and wind noise.
5: If you're on the bank or something, mate, you know, you've got a Schuberth helmet, you're driving your Mustang, what's going on over there? <laughs> Uh, Could it all end tomorrow? You never know, Brian. Spend it now. Make sure the
2: last check bounces.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Can I make sure that um, I just suggest that Hannes tries um, something called an MRA X cream? Um, Grant was sort of touching on this earlier on, but this is one that you can um, adapt uh, significantly Um, you know, you just stop every so often and just change the angle just a little bit a little bit this way, a little bit that way until you get it to the maximum effect for um, his particular height and so on and one of the things that's quite good about this is if um, you're riding um, on road then you can have it at a higher angle if you're riding off road then you can just drop it down so it's not getting in the way of your um, vision of the dirt
1: Mm. The other trick to to help you figure out where the problem is coming from is just stick your hand out. Put your hand in various places to block the wind and see if the noise changes suddenly. And that gives you a clue as to what part of the screen that the noise is coming off and then you can just tape a duct tape a bit of cardboard on that spot and see if it makes a difference
0: that's what i was going to say that's what i've done before is is just take tim yeah. that's that's really my approach to it i would take a piece of cardboard and some duct tape and, or you can use plastic you know from those super slider things that you get for for sliding in the snow um, those type of things find something that's that's flexible that you can work with and then start cutting it and then moving it around and, and find a, a, a pattern that may work the best before you go removing everything and 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 you don't have to spend any money on it too. That's the other great thing. Yeah,
5: Yeah, that's right. And when you get it right, I mean, we we had that problem heading up to Norway and I actually went and bought a fly screen for my bike because of the wind was just in the wrong spot and it was really getting on my nerves. And that was great. And the the, the guy at the shop said, try this one, try that one, put that one on your bike, just take it for a ride, do 20Ks, come back. And he was fantastic. And uh, I ended up with a a Touratech um, fly screen. Which are really easy to take on and off, and they're locked on, they don't move. Um, I find it really good, particularly on big, long, droning roads. Um, And of course, earplugs, augment that with earplugs, they're great. And when you're sitting watching television and you don't want to hear any noise like your wife nagging at you, earplugs are really (laughs) (laughs) good.
3: So I'm taking it. I'll take just a sort of really, really big house and that Shirley's on one side and you're on the other, Brian.
4: Yeah, you know, at this minute, actually, Sam, we're sitting fairly close together. And if you hear any groaning, it could be that I've just hit him once too often. You? Oh. I, um, I don't think I've done anything to deserve that one.
5: Do well, I don't think i have sure. I thought that was out and blue, that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Thank you, Maya. Yeah, thank you. My apologies. They're all gay up on me now. Well, he... brought me up the
0: Another <laughs> listener named Anker wrote us, um, Quite an interesting email, actually, and he was he was wondering if we've ever covered the topic on how to deal with privacy of other people, other people you meet um, all, while you're on your travels. He says um, he sure it's perfectly fine to shoot people pictures of people in in other countries in most cases, but he's saying what about the scenarios where taking a photo with someone or in front of something where it has um, the metadata in there, including the GPS location to a social media site that might get a person in trouble. Now, we're sort of going somewhere with this as as far as our discussion today. But I think for that question, for Anchor's question here, um, have you guys ever run into that? Have you ever heard anything that? Do you have any sort of anecdotes to to go along with that? Oh,
2: yeah. I only have when, sorry, when I did uh, my first book, and I've had photos in the center of people I'd met along the way in Mongolia and various places. And I said to the publisher, I said, you know, can I print these photos? I mean, I don't know who these people are. I can't. And, and you know, kids sort of posing with Monklet and stuff. I said, I don't know who they are. I don't know how to get in touch with them. Is it okay to put their photos in the book? And they said, the rule of thumb is that if someone agrees to have their photo taken, they're, they're agreeing to let you do what not whatever you want, but they're agreeing to let themselves be, you know, they've given permission by allowing the photo in the first place. Admittedly then, social media was sort of in its infancy, so it wasn't quite what it is now. But as as far as getting in trouble with it, they libelists libelous for publishing somebody's photo, they assured me that I wouldn't get in trouble for that. that that's my only anecdote on the subject.
1: There's one thing, one caveat to add to that. If you use that photograph in an advertisement, like on, you know, a billboard or something like that Peace. using that photograph, that yeah. will get you in trouble. You can't That's do right. that without written permission to use yeah, it for that purpose. Yeah. You need signed authority for and, that sort and of most thing. Advertisers actually.
0: will ask for uh, the model uh, to be signed Ridic, off, you know, yeah. have your your model release rather, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Other I think
3: it's, it's, it's technically okay if you ask um, people's permission before you take a photo. And, and I just think that that's common good manners to do that anyway. Why would you stick your camera in somebody's face and take a picture of them without asking if it's okay? Um, and I don't know. I remember a situation where in Pakistan, northern Pakistan, came across a railway crossing, um, really nice little building on the railway crossing. And I thought, well, this is the middle of nowhere. Why is there this house on the railway crossing? And I stopped, um, and four blokes came out of um, the, this place. They're all real characters, and one of looked a little bit like you imagine Sinbad to look, and you know this sort of stuff. Um, and I asked their permission with sign language to take their photo, and they all just sort of um, stood and posed for me. And, and I signed language that I'd send them copies in the in the post. But when I got to Quetta um, the next day. Um, I went and got the film developed and I went down to the railway station thinking, well, you know, if this train is going down that track, then it might be able to drop them off for me, even if it's just flinging the package down to the window well I talked to the railway um, you know to the engine driver and he said yeah of course I'll drop them off for you I know where, where you're talking about and so he literally just stopped the train at the train level crossing to hand over these photos and I happened to bump it into this train driver a couple of days later in the street and he told me that two of the guys had never had photographs of themselves before and I just thought yeah that's what it's about and in these days of email it's, uh, it's incredible who has got an email or has a, a relation who's got an email address. And it's so straightforward to send photographs to people. And I think that's one of the joys of taking pictures of people. But again, it's asking permission first.
0: There's a, um, there's a company called Schofields in the UK and they're an insurance provider. They provide insurance for holiday, uh, ho- holiday rental homes. They surveyed 1,000 people about what was the most important thing about their trip and 40% nowadays say how Instagrammable, I didn't even know that was a word, their holiday would be. And, and they say that 97% of millennials share their trip photos on social media. So it's, it's went from like where you're talking about, Sam, where you might come by and take a photograph and you find somebody who's never been photographed to. Nowadays, I mean, this thing is blowing up something fierce for travelers.
4: There's, there's been a lot of discussion here, if I can just jump in, about um, wanting to get Wi-Fi access in public areas, um, as there are in most third world countries in the square, town square or places like, places like that for public to use, which we don't have in Australia. But one of the reasons was, is they're um, surveying Chinese tourists and the Chinese tourists have said if they can't take the photo and Wi-Fi it straight, straight away onto their um, social media, they're not interested.
1: <laughs> yeah, About the location or uh, anything? Yes,
4: that's. I mean, that is just so scary that they. Yeah. Doesn't anyone just want to look at something through their eyes anymore and record it in the best hard drive, the one we call the brain?
1: Yeah. If they haven't recorded it for posterity for their, all their friends, then they weren't there. They
5: got no yeah. proof. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Talking about privacy of people, I thought Shirley was going to mention that uh, we were in, a, I think it was Bolivia, and there was a lady dressed in traditional cons- costume there, and she was asking people just to make a donation for a photo. Right. And uh, that's fine, you know. You've got to remember that they have very little to live on in some of these little villages. And there was a, a Frenchman with a, a, an enormous telephoto lens and uh camera and he was taking shots of her from all angles and refused to pay, uh, pay this woman. And I thought, and you actually had a go at him, didn't you? I might have. You did. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> Tell story, Tell
4: story, really Well, he had more money around his neck in his bloody camera than this woman and her entire village is likely to earn in a lifetime. And really, I mean, she wasn't asking for 20 bucks. She was just, you know, a few pesos. It was just It was one of those annoying times when you wanted to throttle the other travellers because they were just not
2: treating people with (laughs) the right suit. Not
4: I just Maybe I just attract them, Graham.
0: Well, it, it takes us to into talking about travel influencers. Um, and, you know, Ed, there's a lot of people out there that are traveling. And I'm, I'm not talking just motorcycle travel influencers. I'm talking travel influencers in general. There's a lot of people out there um, that are posting loads and loads of photographs on things like Instagram. And I guess in particular, in Instagram. But I mean, it's happening with YouTube. It's happening with blogs. There's all kinds of people doing it. And it is creating a lot of problems. Now, there, there, there's there's good things that come of it, I guess. You know, people get to see parts of the world, and and that's I I think the probably the original reason for for sharing this is that you want to um, you want to show people some beautiful places that you've seen, some something you've experienced. But now the the Instagram phenomenon is taking over, where people are actually flocking to locations to get the same photograph that someone else has posted that's become a, a viral photograph. It's happening so much that um, places like um Jackson Hole, for instance, um in Wyoming, they're asking people to stop geotagging photographs as as they are I think in Yosemite as well. They're asking people to stop geotagging, stop tagging where you took the photograph because these places are being overrun. Uh, I know I, I read um I think in the New York Times, it was a, there was a hiker that was saying, that um, places that he goes to have, you know, maybe a couple of people there you know, over a weekend period that he used to see. And then it started showing up on Instagram, and now they have far more people than the, than the hike can actually sustain as far as camping spots and people. Like, we're literally um, tramping these places in.
2: It's, uh, I hadn't even heard, Jim, of a travel influencer. Didn't know what they were until we got this month's topics. And I started researching what Instagram travel influences were. And it appeared initially to be glamorous people with photoshopped pictures posting their stuff on Instagram so that their followers could like them and they could feel better about their narcissistic selves. And then, as you say, follow them to these same destinations. And I thought, this is appalling. What, Anna, what a state. It's nothing to do with the architecture or the geography or the feel of the place. It's to do... With just mindlessly going to get your likes and feeling that what you did was worthy in the eyes of your followers. And then I started thinking, hmm, well, then we do that when we talk on the radio and when we do our books. And so I started thinking, I thought, where did travel influencing start? And I think it probably started with Marco Polo in the 1200s, because he went, did a, a 24 year trip around Asia, wrote a book about it. That influenced Christopher Columbus, who then invaded America and wiped out the indigenous population. So travel influence has always happened. And then move forward to the 1970s with Tony Wheeler and The Lonely Planet and the guidebooks, which just persuaded everybody of little means to go off and travel. And then move forward further to Horizons Unlimited and then Ted Simon and to us. And actually, we're all guilty of it. What we've got to do is... Make sure it's done with an air of responsibility and for the right reasons, because in this narcissistic society where everybody functions for likes and approval, it's not really the right reason to go somewhere with your back to the site you've been to see, so that you can have a picture of a selfie of you in front of it.
0: Well, this is the thing, Uh, and and there's a lot of places where I I guess the traffic, the foot traffic or or the visitor traffic was so low before, and these places, a lot of them, they can't sustain high foot traffic and they're getting overrun like i said but that's not the only thing i mean right right in the uk the the residents of notting hill are asking bloggers and stuff to go away stop stop popularizing their neighborhood because people are going up and using it as their their personal photo studio as they set themselves up on people's doorsteps and take photos for instagram
4: well, maybe they should start complaining about Hugh Grant because he started the not in <laughs> <the phrase. laughs> where phrase. And where do you um, – it's,
5: Well, it's I, a- I think it, it comes down to the speed of um, uh, communications nowadays. In the old days, an influencer would maybe do a talk or write a book or uh, people would listen to them and talk about the deepest, darkest Africa and everyone would want to go off on a safari, those that could afford to do so. Nowadays – one, travel is particularly affordable to a lot more people. And two, it, it is the immediacy of communications. So I think that's the difference. And then you're starting to get people who market themselves for so many likes, so they make money out of it on their, on their um, uh, blog or Instagram. I don't even know it. I don't even do Instagram. But those sorts of things are, have big influences, I think, on people. Um and uh, you now they're making money out of it. Uh, well, you know, I think Graham's right. You're doing it for the right reasons. We're all travelers. We all love travel before anything else, and, all, and I get a great kick out of talking to people who say, wow, you influenced me to travel, and that's all I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. I don't care where they go or what they do, as long as they get out there and do their thing is what I say quite a lot. Mm. Yeah, well, we do care a little bit what they do.
1: We would like them to do it. Uh, responsibly, uh, ecologically, carefully. Oh, of yeah. Oh,
5: yeah. oh, yeah, that goes yeah. in saying, yeah, 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 that's
1: right, that's right. We, we want them to yeah. do it well and and travel yeah. with a with some sense of responsibility for who they are, where they come from, and
5: where they are. I think but, that's but really some important. Some of them even take it to the nth degree, and you know, it's all about climbing that rock on that peak and uh, hanging out over a dangerous cliff to take a photo. How many? There was a story about so many people. Dropping off a particular cliff so I think it was in Spain, where they were taking selfies for God's sake to post.
4: Well, there was the woman uh, in England only a couple of days ago who was attacked by a leopard, was it? I think so, yeah. In the zoo. Because yeah, yeah, she right. stepped over the boundary that the zoo uh, people have put up for a very good reason, uh, mainly to keep you out of reach of the big cat. And she went over that boundary and was more than a little surprised when the cat decided, oh, I'll have a go at you, and took a swipe at her claw marks all across her belly and her arm
3: and And it's Uh, all down to common sense and respect isn't it and people seem to get in front of a camera and forget common sense and respect. Um, But, you know, people having taken selfies and photographs themselves. I I was talking with Birgit last night about this and she said, yeah. And do you remember how many times that we put our SLR camera on top of a rock and pressed the timer and then scurried around so that we could be in the right position in front of whatever it was before the timer clicked down? We were taking selfies before mobile phones and everything else happened. And that's because it's a connection. With the place that you 're in let's take, for example, people who ride the length of the Americas and they get to owire and there 's that iconic two spots the 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 sign in Owire itself and the sign at the end of the road, and getting photographs taken both there. I think it 's oh. um, getting a photograph taken at those spots it 's a celebration of of an achievement, and I completely understand that and it 's not offensive to anybody. Uh,
2: Yeah, Sam, a week, barely a week passes where on my Facebook feed there isn't a picture of somebody by the Yishwari sign. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, Uh, And the the thing, when this topic came up, I started started thinking about it. And I've been off Facebook for a week and a half because I thought, shit, everything I do is not necessarily selfie based, but it's a bit narcissistic. And I've started questioning everything now because. Like this trip in the Mustang, until I mentioned it, I haven't taken a photo of the car or the trip or my mum in it. And in the past, I might have Facebooked the hell out of it for for the fun of it. But now I'm thinking, oh, God, am I doing it for likes? And uh, so I haven't done anything. And, and I've been guilty of, you know, you go to these, I mean, just last month in front of the Taj Mahal, of course you're going to take a photo of yourself in front of it. And people have been doing that long before selfies and social media. But I guess it's, it's the reason why you're doing it. Is it one for the photo album, one for the wall? Or is it just one for a disposable social media site? Well,
0: there's a couple of things there, isn't there? Re- really, I mean, you're looking at your motivation to get the photos that you're taking. And then are you, re- are you being responsible with the photos? Are, are you taking photos, for instance, the geotagging thing? You find a remote little spot, a beautiful spot, and, and take a photograph of it and publicize something that maybe even, isn't even set up for a, a lot of tourists to come by. And the problem with it being is that when people see it on Instagram, if it's a fantastic shot, they want to go visit it too. And with, it, like Brian, you were saying that, um, about, um, well, I, I think even Graham, you'd said as well, I mean, about how it started way back when. The problem now is with technology is that this is allowing people to pinpoint exactly where a photo was taken so they can go out and try and get the same photo and and possibly get likes. So there's a couple of things in here, and not to mention the, the commercial side of it you know if you're doing it just for the the commercial likes and by the way Graham you should really be shooting pictures of your mom in that car you will get a ton of likes off of that
2: <laughs> i mean, liking it all by myself isn't that enough
0: no <laughs> <Yes>.
4: <laughs> what do you do um if you want to I mean we used initially um certainly and still pretty much do Facebook to keep in touch with friends when yeah, we're traveling and um, and it's put us in touch with people that we haven't seen for oh, many, decades. Yeah. Yeah. But um, we don't do it for money. We don't um, – oh, I don't see ourselves as changing the world by the people who say, oh, I'd like to go where you've been. I mean, a guy did say he wanted to get that book, the, the small talk picture book, picture talk book, yeah. but that probably hasn't put that guy's royalties over the – but that's, that,
5: that's passing on your knowledge yeah, to help right. people a, a achieve their dreams it's not it's yeah. not um, making a, a full on but, you know but where do you draw the line when you
4: say we're travel uh, influencers
5: I, I, I think sam had it right it comes down to um, responsible responsibilities and you know um, being careful with what you do i think, think traveling
2: I was going to say, I think we're telling people about places. We do it constantly on the show, on Facebook, and and in our books. We can't really be responsible for the people who do want to follow in our tracks, how they act and behave when they get there. So we've got to take a bit of responsibility, but then we don't want to have a disclaimer in the back of our books and at the end of our show saying – Oh, although we endorse these places, we'd rather you didn't go. And if you do, please take your trash home with you or something.
0: But Graham, you, you said before that uh, when we've talked about this, you said before you have your, your special places that you don't go and post them. When you write your book, you don't say, oh, you, you go up to this bridge, you make a right or, or put in here. This is the GPS location of it, my latitude and longitude.
2: Well, I, trying, I mean, the place i stayed in India when we did the the, the, the show with, with the dodgy Wi-Fi, and I wouldn't even say where it was in India because we've been there two years running. There's no Western tourists, and I'd like to keep it that way. Uh, I think I might have mentioned where the Taj was, so some people may follow me there. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that. It's not really a problem. I don't think it's a problem of people um, – hearing us talk about a place and thinking I'd like to go there if I go to South America, I'd like to visit the place that they were talking about. What becomes a real problem, and I don't think this is our responsibility or our fault, is the people in those communities who then decide to make an absolute financial killing out of it. This Airbnb uh, is creating havoc in so many places for people who want to live in a community and um, can't afford it, because everyone's renting out their properties to take advantage of the, the um, short-stay tourist market. It's happening here in New York. You're not allowed to lease an apartment for under a month. Florence. Um,
5: Florence Italy. Um, yeah, yeah,
4: Venice. There was a thing on our um, ABC last night here in Australia about Venice and that um, there's so many apartments that are just uh, available for tourists and local Venetians are having to move off the the main area because they can't afford to live there anymore.
2: On on the other side of that, it's it's a gift, it's a goldmine to people in poorer communities where suddenly the gift of tourism comes and they're able to make some money out of it. Even Mm. on a first world level, I went to a rock festival in Sweden and I chose to stay in the alternative campground, which you had to pay for. And this guy who owned it, It said, oh, it was a farm. And then they started to host the Sweden Rock Festival here once a year. So now I rent it out for camping. I built shower blocks and toilet blocks. That's all I do. Four days a year, the rockers come for the festival and I don't have to farm anymore. So that's like a godsend when something like that happens, even on a first world level. If it happens on a tiny plate, a little island in, in Asia, where before they fought to try and earn a living, on the one hand, they may be inundated with tourists. On the other hand, their way of earning their living changes and so their affluence goes up. And of course, everybody wants to make more money than they did before.
0: That's very true. There's examples like this, um, like with uh, Wanaka, New Zealand. Uh, Apparently in 2015, the tourism board started inviting um, influencers, people who are big in social media, and they had a huge growth. I think it was 14%. That's from an article in National Geographic. In that time period, it was the most effective advertising they did. So there's certainly times where it will work to the, to, to people's advantage.
5: Yeah, that's true. Uh, but is it cyclical? For, for example, um, um, Kuna Beach in Bali was always, has always been a holiday destination for Australians for years and years and years. And now it's like a suburb of one of Australia's big cities. So people that I know that are now going to Bali don't want to go there. They want to go somewhere where it's a little bit quieter or or up in the hills. Where it's still like Bali. Yeah, that's right. So I'm just wondering if these things are a little cyclical. People will get sick and tired of doing that and it'll fade away and then it'll be moved to somewhere else. Yeah, it becomes overcrowded
1: and there's too many tourists and the tourists like us look at, hordes of people. I mean, I see pictures of Hawaii, for instance, and the beach is covered with umbrellas and bodies as far as you can see. Sorry, I'm not interested in that. I want to go somewhere else. So I think you're right. It, it does change. It gets overcrowded. It gets too full. You um, Yet what we used to call the lonely planet syndrome for hotels, if it's in the lonely planet, it's, the price is now doubled and it's also full. So forget it if it's in the lonely planet. So Well,
2: that's I've always That's said you can use that book in two ways. You can see yeah. where everybody goes and go somewhere else. You don't have yes, to dear. be in a Bible follower of all the all the of all those people. You simply use a little bit of initiative and go somewhere else.
1: <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely yeah, true. Right, the only
3: downside with um, people mobbing somewhere like Coosa Beach, for example, <laughs> is that you know once that mobbing has happened, it's never the same. It's, that's it. It's completely changed. Even if it then dies down and people don't, you know. People who want somewhere more remote, it'll never go back to the traditional way that it was, and that's the risk. And I think this is one of the key reasons why travellers need to to use their common sense and respect, and I bag on about this all of the time. We are going out to travel because we want to be strangers in strange lands, and we want to see where this world is just such a beautiful place and not how it's bagged on by politicians and the mainstream media and all of this sort of stuff so much. People are hungry to know what the real world is like. Um, But people have got to go out and just be there with respect. Um, And unfortunately, well, I mean, I'm just thinking between now and 20 years ago, how many people are traveling now in comparison to 20 years ago? Mm. Thousands more. Thousands and thousands more. And how many of those people actually have taken the trouble to research about where they're going? Actually to learn a little bit about the culture of where they're going before they go there. Because things are so much more instant now than they used to be. That's dangerous. People need but, to go to these places and know something.
2: But also, the, I think the uprising is, is uh, inevitable. I mean, 100 years ago, there were a billion people on the planet. Now there's over six billion, so this huge growth in population yep. means a growth in every aspect, and that, of course, one of them is tourism. So That's exactly everywhere, what I mean. yeah. So and everything things are going to get overcrowded, and it's it's only going to expand. I don't know where it's all going to end up. It, we, there's no hope. There's no hope, Sam. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Hang on a minute. Yeah. What was it? I know um, yeah. Fraser that used to say on Dad's Army, "We do, we
5: do, we do." You know what you could do, Graham? You could, you could stop trying to make children. I, I had a vasectomy years ago, Brian. I didn't <laughs> it. Too much information, mate. Yeah. But just to
4: maybe get back onto the subject that we were.
5: <laughs> Good idea, James. Thank you.
4: Um, you know, where will it end? This program on Venice, it will end, they say, there in 30 to 50 years with Venice being unlivable because there are now those massive cruise ships with, with thousands and thousands of people coming in right up into the lagoon and these cruise ships are stories taller than the tallest building in Venice. I mean, Venice is doomed unless, I don't know, maybe it could start with the government saying no more cruise ships
1: yeah, that'd be where I'd start. Mm-hmm.
4: The um, they interviewed a woman who makes those magnificent masks, and she said people come in and they look at the mask and they say how much. And when she tells them, they go, "Oh, it's too expensive," and they go and get one of the cheap, um, mass-produced uh, copies. Whereas she's hand making masks that might take a week or a month to produce, and of course, is charging the the um, fair price for her work. But she said now all these they're here for three hours, they get off their cruise ship, they come up, they look not going to spend that much money, have a quick ride on a gondola, listen to someone singing, and they're out. Yep. And it's it's ruining that
0: place. So it's the cruise ship people. They're they're the real problem in all of this. Yeah, Sam.
1: Sam. <laughs> well, I think generally we have to differentiate between tourists and travelers as well. The tourists are the ones that come in on the cruise ship. They fly in for the weekend kind of stuff. And then there's the rest of hopefully us who travel more slowly by land. You get indoctrinated. You get used to the the culture that you're in because you're stopping in small towns and various places along the way and you're talking and meeting to people and you're starting to understand and become part of the local culture. Whereas if you are dropped in from the sky, you, you come in and all of a sudden there you are and you don't acclimatize to the culture at all i'm always reminded of the time when we were scuba diving in Sharm el Sheikh um, and when you're diving the last day you can't fly or you can't sorry you can't dive before you fly so everybody all the divers go to the local beach and what we were seeing there was absolutely stunning there were some local women swimming and they were wearing the full hijab the you know, down to the ankles and swimming in it. And then you have the European women were there and a number of them were topless. And of course, the local men are wandering around with their eyes bugging out. And what does that say about the acclimatization of the travelers and the tourists to the local culture? No acclimatization, no respect, nothing. And that has always stayed with me as being a really savage indictment of... People dropping in from the sky into strange countries. They're not and connecting so, with the culture. So I witnessed exactly
2: that in Goa, where the tourists come in for two weeks. And same thing, topless girls on the beach in India. And they had organized, semi-organized tours from Mumbai to bring pervy young guys full of testosterone down to stare at the Western women <laughs> and <have> their boogies
3: <laughs> out. <laughs> Put them 20-odd years ago, I met a guy who um, in Madras, or Chennai as it is now, um, and he was literally running a tour company from Chennai, so from one side of India to the other to go across to Goa, Um, and part of the tour experience was that as you climbed on the bus, you were given a set of binoculars, and he used to take people across to Goa Beach, and they'd all climb out of the bus and sit on top of the the slopes and... um, Perth, the girls. So, I mean, this has been happening for ages. I once wrote about people who were on bus tours in developing world countries, and I know many people despise them for their supposed lazy way of traveling. (laughs) But I guess I kind of admired them for still getting out of their home countries and for exploring in a way that they felt that was suitable, suitable to them. And that thought hasn't changed But, you know, you mentioned earlier about the cruise that I was on with my mother recently, and that hasn't changed the thought. There were so many passengers who were there um, exploring in the way that they felt able, and some of these people had never been out of their countries before and they were hungry to learn and to experience. And those were the same people that I saw in the lectures um, from the people who was explaining about the cultures and how it worked, and, you know, which places you had to keep your head covered or your arms covered and when you went ashore and this sort of thing. But it didn't alter the fact that there were plenty of arrogant and arrogant people. Who, because of their closed minds and arrogance, would remain ignorant? And it's those people that we're talking about, isn't it? These guys, are the ones that cause the trouble.
0: Well, I think to to rein us back in, we're, we're not so much like we're really what we're talking about here is, is the social media influence, really, or influencers, in particular, the influence of taking shots and and basically attracting people to areas that they wouldn't otherwise go. And because and, we were talking, uh, Graham, you mentioned about um, the books, about writing books and how, you know, it's always, it's always been done. It's attracted people to certain areas. And certainly um, Lonely Planet guidebook definitely does that. And that was a big part of it. It was a, that was a big influencer right there that definitely overran places. I mean, you hear about well, it all.
2: They'd even write in the next, in the next, um, uh, the next episode, what they call it, the next book that came out would say, "Well, this place used to be a very quiet place, but over the last few years, it's been inundated with travelers and backpackers." It's like, "Well, whose fault is that?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly yep. it. And 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 the thing is, like, with this with this almost insatiable desire for photographs nowadays. I mean, with the popularity of Instagram um, and with the uh, the popularity of, of all the other social media platforms, which people love to show their their photographs on, everyone wants photographs. And that is driving people to go into places that they wouldn't otherwise go just to, 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 like I said, recreate that photograph. Another example of that that's slightly different, I think, and I mentioned before to you guys when we talked about this, we found um, some camp spots that we used to use that you just didn't see anybody at. They're not really camp spots. They're just sort of spots that we would, you know, go into by a lake. And this one, one spot in particular, we had all kinds of people showing up there when we would go there. And finally, we got asking around and they're coming through an app. So... Because of the internet and the connectivity, and I know I said this before, they're finding a place that they would never otherwise find by an app or through the app. And because of it, it becomes overrun and it becomes polluted. And I mentioned about them defecating all over the place, um, right down beside the water, garbage strewn everywhere. The place is not set up to handle that tourism. And that's a big part of what's happening with with the social media influencers and their photographs.
4: But how do, you, how do you prevent that,
1: Jim? How
0: do you... Yeah, good question. That's great. It's exactly... How do we? I don't know. I don't, I don't think you do.
1: I, think, I don't think you can. You're always going to tell... People are always going to hear about something. They're going to hear about a cool place and they're going to go and some of them are good people and they do things right and some of them are at the opposite end and they do everything wrong and they have no clue and they don't care either. And there's some, always going to be some in the middle. I think that's just a fact of life and a fact of... As Graham was saying, six billion people on the planet.
0: Well, there are some things. There's an organization called Leave No Trace that put out um, new social media guidance uh, suggestions, I guess. And one of them is tag thoughtfully. Avoid tagging or geotagging specific locations. Instead, tag a general location such as a state or region. Um that way, it it's, it sort of prevents people from flocking to a site. And there's all kinds of examples if you search the internet where people are flocking to specific sites that, um, as I've mentioned over and over again with this, they can't handle it. They're they're completely overrunning it. So there there is something we can do, even if it was just that. I don't know where it's going to go down the road.
2: I think that that's great, Jim, and that's wonderful that there are people encouraging responsible travel, but. I think it's a little bit, you know, in India. Why, uh, in India, a billion people are burning their plastic bottles, and I get home thinking, why the hell am I bothered to recycle my plastic bags when an entire vastly populated continent doesn't give a damn about it? So I think we're outnumbered. We can do our best, but we're outnumbered. <laughs> but
4: Every we shouldn't give up. Exactly. Every little bit helps.
5: And, and it comes. Was, and it I'm comes not... back to the age-old thing of education. Everything was that, so. yeah educating people to be a little bit more responsible. Simple, really. If you don't start,
1: you certainly will never get there. That's a really pompous thing to say,
3: but for for we people who um, are coming from the developed world, when we're traveling in the developing world, it's up to us to lead by example. If we're seen to be trashing our plastic bottles onto the street or whatever else it is, or even using the blooming things, why on earth... Are travellers still using water from plastic bottles? Why are we not taking our own aluminium bottles with filters in the neck? We know better. We, there is no excuse for overlanders now to be using plastic bottles. We should all be going out there with our own bottles, with our own filters. I mean, damn it, these filters, a thousand litres, each one will, will do I mean, why are people still using plastic bottles? For anybody who goes out from the First World War, oh, First World, and still does it, um, <laughs> we, sh- we should be at war with them because they are just getting it so wrong. Oh,
5: one, one of you. the biggest scams biggest going around with selling bottled water.
0: Mm. And you hear about yeah. the the huge uh, part of the ocean that's covered with plastic. They're saying it's, it's yeah. doubled in size or something just recently. Yeah,
1: well, it's a microplastic. <laughs> Is getting into everything too. It's in all the food we eat and it's into everything.
0: Oh, my
3: God, Birkin, we Birkin are doomed. I said, <laughs> yes. said to me the other day, should we stop buying fresh fish from the sea? Because um, scientific studies now say that we've trashed so much plastic into the ocean that actually we're eating plastic in fresh fish now.
4: Yeah. Uh, no, come to Australia. We're eating mercury in our fish. Mm. <laughs> oh, lovely. excellent. That's New flavor. Much better for you than the plastic stuff.
0: <laughs> What's it taste like? <laughs> Vegemite. <laughs>
5: uh, Vegemite face, oh, yeah.
0: So here's a question for for everyone: Does does what we've talked about here and what we've read about does it change the way that any of us are going to share our adventures, our places, etc. on social media?
2: Well, I think if you start getting too responsible you're just going to be a bore because people aren't interested in the, like I said before, in the in the sort of, in the disclaimers and the, this is what I'm doing, but don't do it. And, and people want instant gratification in their photos, in their comments. I'm very much more aware of it and have been for the last week and a half, which is why it's left me not posting because I'm a little bit confused with the whole thing. I'm not quite sure what to do. I don't know. I, I hope by the end of this, broadcast we have a positive conclusion because I can't think of an answer Jim. Mm-hmm.
4: Well I, I must admit it, it's made me think about maybe looking at my um, the people who like and follow my personal Facebook because there's a lot there who I wouldn't know them from Adam that they've heard about us through our travels and through um, through this podcast. And um, when I put travel stuff on, I'm sure they find it interesting, but when I put animal welfare stuff or Australian politics, they're probably bored to solves, but they're still there. So maybe we Post should... Post it with a picture of sure a cat,
2: cat shell, then, it, then it'll be all right.
4: I always do <laughs> that. Gosh, you? You may not have been posting, but I bet you've still seen all the cats at our local animal welfare shelter. It's cat's eating, Graham.
3: I'm just sitting here looking at my Facebook page, and I'm posting funny things I'm posting things from other people I'm sharing beautiful things I'm sharing um things that other people are up to or want to promote for themselves, you know like an event um, it to me um a Facebook page is um it, it's 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 a bit like a magazine it's an online magazine where you just cover all sorts of things that are potentially interesting. Um, I certainly don't use mine to, to shout me, 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 look at me all of the time because I think that's complete bollocks. Why would anybody want to do that? Um, but there are people who do, yes. but how many people have, have really want to look at those pages anyway?
0: I don't know. They're pretty popular. If you, if you look at Instagram, you're going to find a load of those with followers that are just unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, and people they, you
1: make know. a living, a really good living as social media influencers. Um, you know, $100,000 is considered to be peanuts these these days for serious social media influencers for your annual salary. It's just amazing Uh, what they're making. So,
3: yeah. Part of me understands why, uh, well, of course, part of me understands why um, somebody would go traveling and think, wow, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. This is phenomenal. I want to carry on doing it and tries to find a way to be able to carry on doing it. Um, I understand that because, well, hey, look what I do. Um, I want to carry on doing the travelling, but I want to carry on sharing the fun of the road and I want to try and open people's eyes to what it's really like out there. Um, but if it's, if it's just tick box travellers, well, what's the point in that? It's like notches on a gun belt. Eech.
1: Yeah.
0: Th- there's almost a, like a, a level... Of, uh, I'm just thinking this as we're going here, almost a level of protection you need to put in place, or at least you could put in place to prevent the tick box travelers, as you're saying. And, th- and those will be the people we're talking about, the people who are rushing to these spots to to get the photo, to to see the same thing, to have the same you know quasi experience. Um, and, and maybe some of that is in the geotagging. Maybe some of that is being a little more general um, with the photographs. I don't know. Well, you can
1: turn that off. Well, of course you can you turn can. that off on your phone. Yeah, I mean, of yeah, course you most can. Most people but it, don't think to, but you could and you should. And mine is turned off.
0: Mm-hmm. Mine too. Yeah. 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 When you upload photos, I mean, that's the other thing you can do is is check out, understand what metadata is, and and start to manage it and figure out well, what have, what metadata do I want to share and what am I actually sharing? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think you need to be careful about that. I and mean, going through, you're talking about privacy for earlier about all this <sighs> with taking photos and things. And going through all the settings on your phone, it can take you an hour. There's so many, and they're so well hidden, especially on Android. Google really wants to know everything there is to know about you and what you're doing and where you're going and what apps you're using and everything in it. But you need to go through it and spend the time to figure out what am I sharing, and am I sharing geotagging data to my house when I take a picture of my kid? You've got to be careful. I I did uh, a little shock yesterday. Um, fuel is cheaper in Hungary, oh,
2: sorry, in Czech Republic, than it is in Germany. So I was leaving Germany on fuel <coughs> so that I could fill up in the Czech Republic, and I'd really left it too late. With the wrong side of the red, the low fuel gauge was on, and ah oh, no. So I diverted off the off the motorway at the first exit when I got into the Czech Republic because there was this little village, and there was no fuel there. I was, oh, God, what am I going to do? So I put into Google pe- Maps petrol station and it said, there is one three kilometers there. You were there three years ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's creepy.
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: that oh, is yeah. so creepy. Yeah. Anyone else any comments about this and um, what we've been talking about? I, I know we sort of touched on the professional uh, influencers just here and there, but
4: well, the professional influencers—they're um, a menace. I, I guess you've got to say that because they can really change something. Brian's just looking at something here some of them get paid for a thousand dollars per hundred thousand followers. I wouldn't know a hundred thousand people, let alone have a hundred thousand people following us. But you know, if if they if they're getting paid to show a certain resort or a certain you know shop in a town. How do you stop that? How do you stop people making money?
0: I, I don't think there's any way to stop it, but but um, it certainly isn't very ethical if you think about. it, Even to their followers, you get a bunch of people following you, and then you you sort of sell the spot. I mean, um, I guess if that's you're clear about it, maybe that's okay. But
1: yeah, I know somebody I who has also. billion and a half followers, and he gets paid five thousand dollars for one tweet. Wow. Wow, right. is right. Tr- like,
4: is that a traveler,
1: Grant? Yes. Bloody hell. I, I, won't, I won't give his name. Um, but that's the way it is. And his income goes up and down depending on how popular he is and what he's done lately. Um, and he does okay. I think his popularity is waning because he hasn't done anything really major for a few years. Um, but he's still doing okay. And he still got over a million followers. At the height of his thing, he was... Spectacularly well. So, Imagine yeah, they have, a, they have an outsized influence.
0: There's actually companies out there, more than one, that connect other companies with social media influencers they market them like they're a product they have their picture there yes. they have their their influence uh, like how many followers they have and what sort of interaction they have and th- they market them it's it's like there's a whole there's a whole thing going on behind the scenes that you don't realize uh, and obviously it's the big social media influencers
1: yeah well we've actually been approached be. by a couple of those guys to do something with them and we just turn them down no we're not interested in doing that kind of stuff that's Sorry, it's bogus. I'm not interested. But uh, yeah, they are out there.
3: That's what it comes down to in the end, isn't it? A lack of honesty. They're not keeping yeah. it real. Yep.
5: Yeah, yeah. But 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 even Facebook, you know, they'll ask you to boost a post, you know, and charge you to boost a post. You know, well, why the hell would you want to do that? People are interested. They're interested. If they're not. They're not. You know.
1: Well, no. If you, the catch is, it, it's very complicated. If you. You think that everybody that is following your Facebook page sees every post you make. They don't.
5: No, no, no,
1: no. And no, 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 no. 15% see it. So if you want more to see it, you have to boost the post and you have to pay for it. Hmm. It's called, so Facebook owns the world and the way they make money is by limiting your reach and charging you to increase your reach to the people that are already following you and want to hear from you. Because otherwise, how do they make their money?
5: Yeah.
2: That's why mm. only 10% of the people who, who follow me wish me a happy birthday. What were well, the bastards? <laughs> <laughs> 300 happy birthday wishes. That's lovely. <laughs> Expensive
4: gift to follow. <laughs>
2: and what, what, on this subject, because um, this really is – the whole travel influence thing, its this is what we are all about. This is absolutely the crux of everything we do in our podcasts, in our writing, in our websites. So I think it would be kind of interesting, because I'm sure this will come back up again, to get some listener feedback after this podcast. What do people who listen think about this subject? What are their opinions? Because I've been really interested in, in hearing what other people have to think about it.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. Mm. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. So um, do that. Send us send us your feedback on this. Let us know what you think of um, the whole social media thing, and as far as influencing goes, and and also um, posting everything that you do, posting everywhere you go, you know, all the all your little hidden spots, etc. Is anything sacred anymore, or should it be?
4: Mm. Should it be sacred? Mm. Who who makes that decision? We decide what yeah. we we think is sacred. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a tough, a tough one. one, isn't it? You know, it's um, it is difficult. I know for me, it, it, it's I don't post my favorite little spots. I, I don't go and put them down, and you know, I might put fo- post a photo of. I don't even post that much. I don't, I don't want to talk, but I mean, I might post a photo <laughs> of down by the water or something like that. Um, but I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mark where it's from. I'm not gonna geotag it. I'm, I'm not gonna tell people oh, you go in here and, and make a left and and run down to there. And probably, uh, honestly, probably because. I don't want these places overrun. I think it's if somebody finds it on their own, through their own work, I consider them to be the same, you know, somewhat like-minded people. They they like the same sort of things and they'll hunt down the same areas to find the places that I've found. I I feel that by just posting it up on the internet, uh, you're going to find, you know, if I'm talking about a camping spot, you might find anybody who just happened to look for a free place to camp, which, as I said, I've certainly run across that.
4: There is that, that, um, you know, we need to protect those small places, our special places, everyone needs to do that. But the the real problem for me, I think, is the big locations that are being overrun with tourists like Barcelona, who has you know people demonstrating against tourists, uh, Venice the same and other cities in Europe. We've been to those places and we've experienced the beauty of their architecture and, and absorbed ourselves in their history it's now true. the governments are going to have to look at how they maintain the integrity of their cities and still allow people to come and enjoy their cities
0: yeah yeah, yeah it's uh, it's definitely difficult and, and and i doubt there is an answer I and mean, i didn't really expect us to come up with an answer on this <laughs> <It> would <laughs> be good if we did <laughs> it would yeah. be really good yeah
2: <laughs>
4: Then yes. we would have been influencers
0: if we'd been able to come up
3: with that. <laughs> we'd be influencers. I mean, all you can really
0: say is be responsible, and I think the geotagging thing is very important. I, I think be responsible, but my feeling is is just what I said. I think that we should be somewhat vague about the places that we post, and I don't. I don't think that's really trying to keep a secret. It's it's just back to what I said about um, like-minded people finding the same thing. Yeah,
1: spreading it out too. The more the more places people know about. The lower the load on each of them. Is that for a thought? So we should all be posting millions of places
0: everywhere. Oh, I see, right? The other approach you post off of spots. So that's you, you post, post, post your good everything. spot and then post a bunch of random spots and then you're diluting yeah. the whole thing. Oh, that's an interesting a yeah, gun
4: approach. Hope they don't turn out to the one you really like.
0: You know,
3: I'm sitting here thinking, I, I really like seeing pictures of where people have discovered and the amazing places people have got to and so on. I'm I'm fascinated about it.
0: Um but do you need the exact location?
3: No, I don't. Right. I don't need the exact location. For me a journey, a huge part of it is it's a voyage of discovery. I want to find those things. I want the random um, as well as the organised, and yes, of course, if I go to a big city, then there may be um, a set few things that I particularly want to see. I like going to Porto in Portugal. I want to see the railway station because of all of the amazing tiles that are there, and it would be a shame not to go to Porto and not, you know, to go to Porto and not to see those things. Um, but the more the, the tiny, remote, little places that could be significantly changed by mass tourism. In the negative, no. Um, I, I, I'd love to see pictures about them, but I certainly wouldn't give the details about how to get them there. Um, and when I'm writing the next magazine articles, I'm going to be thinking hard about what I put in the articles as a result of this conversation.
5: I was thinking that exact same thing, Sam. You mm. really have to um, think about um, putting things down where there are really nice places, But um, I I do enjoy looking where people have been and what they've done and that sort of stuff. But I normally post stuff about going for a ride and there might be a nice view of the bike um, on a bluff overlooking some water or something like that. Well, you know, that's about being free and easy. And I think most of our uh, podcast listeners are like that. Look at the questions we get, you know, like how do you set your bike up and what do you do, you know, the wind noise on your bike and all that sort of stuff, and we're just passing on our knowledge more than being influencers, I think.
1: Yeah, and We're also just uh, broadcasting to a relatively niche audience. We're not broadcasting to the world. We don't have 50 million listeners, so that makes quite a difference too. Um, if we were a generic travel podcast So that everybody who wanted to go anywhere in the world was listening to it all the time. That would be a whole different
5: thing. So I don't think we'd be be making a lot of money.
1: Oh
0: yeah, <laughs> you mean Jim yeah. be making some money. You know, and that's yeah, the question. Good, yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> then in my plug, in my plug, I could say, "I'm going to Vienna, Austria now. Come and join me. Beautiful place." <laughs> <laughs> well, no, then you'd
0: be selling the tour. You'd say, "Come ride with me. I'm going." You know, and then book. Yes. That would be the Come way
2: Get do. a selfie with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what that's worth. Hmm. Imagine if you had that popularity. Would you feel the same way, or would you find a way to justify it? I mean, if you had the the one million followers on your social media accounts, and companies did come to you and say, "We're going to give you two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to crack open this beer on on one of your episodes," and you go, "Oh, okay," what, say no, of course, right? I mean, everybody here would oh, say no.
2: Be really hard, wouldn't it, <laughs> to have those ethics? And, yeah. Uh, I mean, and also, guys. The But the, it's pretty low, pretty low ground. <laughs> <laughs> and very affordable. <laughs> I'll call myself out of any kind of sponsorship. You can
0: reach him at <laughs> grahamfield.co.uk. <laughs> but, uh,
2: but on the other side of it, I mean, last week, um, the lead singer of the prodigy, uh, Keith Flynn, um, died, took his own life. And apart from the music, and uh, which was fantastic he was also very involved in the motorcycle scene and uh, a lot of people I know on Facebook had met with him and said what a lovely down-to-earth guy he was and so he had the fame the popularity the talent the diverse interests and he took his life he was 49 years old and you think god you know on one hand we struggle to promote what we do and try and set our books and our promote our podcast and our website and then you think god do you really want to be famous well, but is that where it leads to? So perhaps you've just got the right balance here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I,
3: hope so. I think one of the things that happens with um, these travel influencers and in inverted commas is um, maybe they're constantly having to compromise and by having to constantly compromise, they're compromising who they are as people. And maybe some of them don't like themselves very much anymore
2: the ones I looked at on Instagram, there didn't seem to be a real photo there. They were all so staged. And I remember uh, Steph Evans, who was staying in, in, in Bulgaria over the winter to write a book, was saying uh, she had someone on her Facebook feed. And she said, there was this girl, she had beautiful hair, beautiful makeup. And she was posed with her bike by this uh, idyllic little spot. And it said, I camped here last night. And she said, to herself, you know, darling, you didn't camp here. Look, you're beautifully made up. There's no way you spent last night in a tent. <laughs> and I think that was my first uh, awakening that there are fake posts and traveling foods. I haven't come across it, but I couldn't grasp the concept. You know, why why would someone do that? And of course mm-hmm. now I'm becoming more aware. And okay. Steph said, you know, she posted a little video uh on her travels, and she's and people would comment and said, What the hell did you post a video for when you look that rough? And she said, "Actually, I made an effort."
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's true, and, and people are doing all kinds of things. I mean, there's all kinds of, as I mentioned, things that are going on in the background of the scenes of social yeah. media, and including things like buying likes. There's a load of companies out there that are selling. Fake likes and and unscrupulous operators. will
2: buy 20,000 likes off eBay for a very, very small price. On eBay? You get a bunch of Turkish people. You can buy a bunch of uh, Turkish people. will all like your posts uh, for a while. And uh, yeah, go on eBay. You can buy likes.
3: I don't understand how these people can do what they're doing and look themselves in the mirror. And I don't understand if... They are putting themselves under the pressure to beat all of these deadlines and everything else, to, to, to meet commitments to major sponsors and all of the rest, how they could possibly do it and enjoy the journey.
1: It's all mm. about the money. How much money mm. can they put in their bank account and how many toys mm. and goodies can they buy? And if you've got a million and a half followers, a lot of people will feel really good about that. I'm really popular. Wow, aren't I Wonderful. I think yeah, your yeah.
2: travel is just a byproduct of the income. They happen to be traveling and that's how they're making their money, but they're not travelers. They're capitalists.
0: <laughs> Do you see how many articles there are out there now about how to be, beco- how to travel for free by becoming a social media influencer?
2: Um, and yeah. to follow, follow these people, follow this, follow yeah. that. These are lovely. That's what bollocks. I'll choose who I want to follow based mm. on the, on the integrity and the, content of their posts not on the glamour and the
5: photoshopping of their bullshit bloody yeah. influencing uh, you yeah, say how it is in, that's, that's exactly right I was <laughs> going to say you know maybe us gnarly old travellers our bullshit metre is pretty high and let's hope the rest of the world catches up with us well said <laughs> yeah and without the cynicism
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: no that's part of the scent
0: yeah <laughs> Well, um, shall we? Oh, you know, the only other thing that I wanted to ask about was, Graham, your, your, your financial status, your, your, your little thing with the the credit cards. I, I forgot to ask you about that at the start. I wanted to just sort of, do we have any sort of update with that?
2: You've got a little update. First, thank you for everyone who, who wrote uh, about the subject and said, oh, you know, I'm so sorry this happened. That was, that was really touching. The only I haven't got a lot to say. Police never called. Um, I could have certainly given a bit of information to help them track down, or at least give them some clues. But nothing was done. Two of the credit cards were instantly replaced when I got back. The third, however, um, instead of writing uh, when I when I spoke to the person, instead of clicking on the uh, blocked. Uh, checkbox. She clicked council. So my credit card was cancelled. That meant I had to go all through the reapplication process to get another credit card. And then they said, do you still work at so-and-so? I said, no, I haven't worked there for 20 years because when I applied for that credit card 20 years ago I had a proper job and a proper income and uh, so now I've had to reapply my credit limit's been cut <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I wondered if that was going to happen when you reapplied <laughs> that's yeah. why I, I asked you if it was going to be a smooth transition or not but uh, wow. so
2: this whole thing with the credit card hasn't cost me anything financially but it has cost me a lot of time uh, trying to correct this stuff Uh, So that's the only update I've got at the moment. Uh, The banks call it, it's the little man who loses out, not the banks, the people who, and and think about this, if you take, if you're at a show or something and you're selling a product and you take credit cards and that credit card turns out to be stolen, if you sold them three books and a t-shirt, you gave it away because the banks will take that money back from you. So when you think you've just had a big sale and you've taken a credit card, make sure it's, it's not a stolen one. And the other thing, a mate of mine just came back from Sri Lanka, and there's an app now, and they little, little traders, tiny traders who want to take credit cards, there's this app where they took a photograph of the credit card front and the number. You turn the credit card over, they took another photograph, and then they took a selfie, a picture of the person whose credit card it was, and those three photos are part of the app. And that validates the sale.
0: Wow. wow. That's interesting. So that's how they process oh, yeah. the credit card, you mean?
2: Yeah, that's how they process the, the, the transaction. By having the selfie as well, the photo of the owner of the credit card, That the, the three things were put together. And it was like, this is the person's credit card. This is the authority they need to give it. And the transaction went through.
1: And it has to
0: be automated
1: too. So that's pretty good uh, AI working in the background there.
0: That's impressive. Wow. Wow. That is interesting. Well, yes, and that's a very good point. It's a small guy that gets taken. And you said, make sure the credit card is not stolen. How do you know? You're going to, I mean, even if you checked it at the time, it would be valid. So you don't know.
2: Well, I guess I guess if they want you to sign the book, see if it's the same name as it's on the credit card. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good point. So if somebody gives you a different name, you know you're about to be had. And then you're going to tackle <laughs> somebody down to the ground and find out they were buying a gift for somebody. <laughs>
5: <laughs> or, you or, or if you come across a credit card with the name G Field, on it. don't take it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: exactly. So what's the new credit card number, Graham? <laughs> five, four, five <laughs> <laughs> On to plugs. Grant, what have you got for plugs?
1: Well, we've got all kinds of events happening. my My winter is spent getting new events organized and up and running, and we've got Romania as is about to open. In fact, by the time this thing airs, it will be open. So if you want to go to Romania, that's august twenty three to twenty five. And of course, Italy, it's going to be the second year again. There's all set to go at a wonderful new location sweden is back on with their little adventure ride july six to eight and well i could go on and on and on we've got i think 24 events this year there's something on every continent except antarctica although we have had an hu meeting on antarctica once many years ago Uh, so six continents lots of things happening there's something somewhere near you you are a traveler after all right so there's got to be something close to you so check out the event schedule horizonsunlimited.com slash events there was something on near you somewhere this year
0: in Antarctica you had a meeting
1: yeah well two guys got up there and they put up a flag and H.U. poster <laughs> oh, <brilliant.
0: laughs> and they took the selfie <laughs> 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 you didn't mark it. down where <laughs> that was taken did you I have
1: no idea where it was taken. They were on one of the beaches.
0: I can imagine the penguins. That sounds
1: great. I want to go and take a selfie there. Oh,
0: great. Here we go. See what you've done. Brian, what have you got for plugs?
5: Uh, Later this month, the 30th of March, there will be a Eddington Vintage Sports Car and Motorcycle Sprints. Now, this is like the old days where they just block off a road and you bring your car, motorcycle, old uh, car or motorcycle out, and you go as quick as you can on the, this road over a, about a mile distance it goes. So anything older than 1972, that, that this is on a little place called Eddington, which is not that far from Bendigo in central Victoria. And guess what? It's free admission. Anyone can come along. Uh, Myself, uh, I'll be probably um, sparing for a mate of mine who's got a an old Yamaha six fifty twin that he's going to um, see how fast it could go, and uh, it's had some trick work done to it, so it should be interesting. So that's that's my plug. Come along and, and have a look at uh, these lunatics um, trying to get the biggest speed they can out of some really old machinery.
0: Well, that certainly sounds yeah. like fun. I, I thought you were going to say you're going to be riding something. And you don't have a, 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 one of your bikes is not that old.
5: Well, that's the problem. I've got to get an older bike.
0: Oh, yeah. You should get another bike, Brian. <laughs> 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 you didn't Shirley, hear that, Shirley. Shirley, what have you got for plugs? Oh,
4: I've just gone into a state of shock of something about another motorbike. No, I've got nothing, Jim. Sorry.
0: You're not going to talk about the cats that you've been posting on the internet?
4: <laughs> and why would I do that? To allow you people to take the piss out of me even more than
0: you do. That. We never would. <laughs> you, know, you did have a really nice one. I, I tried to think of it. I can't remember what it was. It was a picture of a dog. And it was a dog. Maybe was it a sign on the dog or something that you posted in the past week or so?
4: Oh, the dog from Darwin that had been in the in the pound for 360-something days.
0: Uh, maybe that was it. Oh. Uh, she found a home oh nice was that from <laughs> from being posted on social media the home yeah yeah it was wow it
4: that's was. really neat yeah. yeah so there are some good things
0: that come out of social media yeah yeah that's for sure uh, Sam what do you have oh I'm getting really excited
3: now because before too long I am back to the States
0: and I've got um, the
3: series of presentations coming up um, I'd like to mention them again I'm sorry if it's um, Um, Too many times, but um, yeah, we're so close now. So the first one's at Frontline Eurosports in Salem, Virginia, and that's on April the 19th. (laughs) The next one is at Horizons Unlimited in Virginia, Appomattox. Have I pronounced that right, Grant? Close enough. Oh, good. Um, And I'll be there on the 26th and 27th. Um, And then the next one is Gateway BMW in St. Louis, Um, and I'll be there on um, April the 30th. And then Eurotech motorcycles in Oklahoma City on May the 4th. And the next one's a date change. Um Sandia BMW motorcycles in Albuquerque, and that's now May the 11th. It was May the 10th, so that's May the 11th now. And it's just been confirmed that I will be at Overland Expo West in Flagstaff, Arizona, um, between May the 17th and 19th. So um, I've got some great riding coming up. And um, I hope I'm going to get the chance to meet loads of um, Adventure Rider radio listeners. I usually do um, when I'm over. And that's one of the things that's a a buzz about doing the presentations and so on. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing some of you guys out there um, in April and May.
0: Wow, you have got a busy schedule. An Overland Expo, that's great. I'm really pleased. I um, was a bit in doubt, um,
3: but uh, yeah, just been confirmed. So I've got eight presentations to do.
0: Oh, I was going to say, you're going to do a presentation. <laughs> you're going to do, do
3: eight. Well, eight presentations and, and classes and um, roundtable sessions and that sort of thing. It's, um, and and uh, with a bit of luck, I might sell a few books as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd want to do that.
3: Oh,
4: Sam, so will you
3: be no an to... influencer? Oh, absolutely not. Unless, <laughs> oh. unless it's being a bad influencer.
5: <laughs> See, now
0: that's when geotagging photos would be totally acceptable if you're at Overland Expo. Of course, that would be good. That's a good idea to geotag.
3: I, well, I'd better go and do a Google to work out what geotagging yeah. means. There we go.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Graham, what have you got?
2: I've got a, a totally selfless plug this time. Um, I want to let people know about the Overland Adventure Show in Stratford-upon-Avon. It's been going since 2012 and it's really wonderful because it isn't just motorcycles, it's As one person simply put it, it was 101 different ways to sleep on top of a Land Rover. (laughs) 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 But it's got your big 4x4 Unimogs and and every aspect of overland travel. But best of all, if you go on a motorbike, it's free. Free to get in and free to camp. And the reason is the organiser, Tom, um, didn't include... Uh, motorcycles that much in his last show felt a bit bad about it and as recompense he's um letting anybody who turns up on a mo- an adventure bike you get in for free and you get to camp free so the whole show is free and i like it it's a good show i'm not going to be there <laughs> <laughs> my books are going to be represented uh duncan goth does a, a book stand called world of travel and has a whole bunch of travel books. There's one aspect of many, many different things there. There's all sorts of good food. And just wandering around and seeing all the different ingenuity and the different ways of doing stuff, it's a good show. And if it's free, I don't think that's too bad of a price. It's on the 27th and 28th of April uh, this year, and it's in stratford upon avon in the, that region in the UK. So I would recommend that show for a free weekend if you're on a motorcycle. And, and you just- the only other thing I want to say... Yeah,
0: go. On. I was going to say, you just show up for that, do you? Yeah,
2: just turn you, up. You don't have to book it no, in advance, right? No, got free motorcyclist campground, and there's motorcycle stuff there as well, but it is more four wheel orientated. But it's uh, a pretty good show.
3: The um, last I heard, Graham, they'd got um, 255 people who had um, motorcyclists who'd already said that they were going to go. So that's going to be a real bus because I gather in the past it's been sort of 70 or 80 people. Um, yeah. Uh,
2: as a bookseller, I always really enjoyed it because it was such a diverse crowd and I would see people I don't normally see. And those four-wheel people have a lot more money than us two-wheel people <laughs> and <laughs> more room to carry books. So it's <laughs> a good right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I want to say was thank you for all the feedback on the audiobook. Eureka, people are really liking it and it's really lovely to hear their feedback. So – those of you who have bought and listened to Eureka, and let me know that they've enjoyed it. Thanks for that; makes me feel good.
0: Job well done. Now, what do you do after this?
2: Um, well, apart from driving back to Bulgaria, no, about no, no. I'm th- I'm think-
0: no, no. no I'm, think- <laughs> I'm thinking more about the Eureka. I mean, where do you go from there?
2: Oh, well, uh, <laughs> I could do the long-awaited fourth book or i could simply recall the third book different natures we'll see
0: mm, it's a debate i like that so that's a little inside information he's working on a fourth book may not have started yet or come up with a concept but he's working on it and, and that could be you know any time now right
2: yeah it could be it could have been any time over the last five years <laughs>
0: where's your mum? Uh,
2: She's downstairs completely, but absolutely beneath the room I'm in. she got the one with the private bathroom. I've got the shared bathroom. Uh, Uh. So she's just downstairs. And uh, yeah, we're going to jump in the car. It's a little bit late to start than I would have liked because it's nearly nine o'clock here. And uh, then we've got uh, about a 12-hour drive, uh, if I can do it in one hit, to get home. Because the thing is, once you're four hours from home, you don't really want to get a room because you're nearly home. Um, so there's a beautiful bit in Romania where you follow the Danute and it's a, a sort of a canyon there's Serbia on one side of the Danube, the river Danube and then you're driving down through Romania and I'm hoping it's going to be warm enough to put the top down for that bit and uh, and then cross into Bulgaria knuckle down through the last four hours get home light the fire and have a little drink maybe.
0: Well, you cut out when you were talking about what what the details of the car there at first, and I and I, I gathered what you said was you got the V6 version, which which is kind yeah. of which is kind of bizarre yeah. <laughs> for a Mustang. No, I'm
2: not it's, it's economical. I'm thinking about the environment,
0: Jim. Really? Yeah, I know oh. that's what people say when they buy the V6. That's that's always the response. It's it's economical, but you know, it's a muscle car with no muscle. Uh,
2: it's got muscle in some places. <laughs>
0: well, I tell you
2: what. I tell you what, it is an asshole magnet. For the first time in my life, I've realized if you drive a sporty looking car, all the people with small, feel the need to get right up your ass to overtake you, to cut you up to prove that they're faster and cooler than you are. I've never had that before. It really does attract the, the bonehead motorist.
0: So you find yourself driving like this now when you have this car?
2: No, well, this is the problem. I don't because I just sit at a uh, steady sort of seventy, seventy-five miles an hour because I'm not really a fast driver. it's and, um, and all the people, and all the yeah, because it's V6. <laughs> <laughs> And all the Aldis and the BMWs and the Porsches are just—they're cutting you up. They—they they never drove like that when I was driving a van. I'm in a sporty
0: convertible. Here, I'm going to give you some instructions on how you can stop this from happening. Okay. Just get a little piece of cardboard, take a black marker, and put it's a V6 on the back.
2: (laughs) I didn't realize there was such a big difference
1: (laughs) you could say it's a four cylinder that'll really do it
3: Graham I I really am struggling seeing you driving this sports car it's just not an image Um, I'm I'm connecting the dots on
2: it is weird. It isn't. It was a bit of an impulsive but It's kind of. It's something you've got to get out of your system. I think you know. Never had invertible before. It was like when I put ape hangers on me Harley. I thought I'm going to do this just to get out of your system. And 15 years later, they're still there.
3: <laughs> Graham, I do understand because I have also had a sports car, but it was a very, very long
1: time ago. I have fond memories of my MGB. That was a wonderful car pile of shit but it was a wonderful car
3: <laughs> that was my sports car too and it was also do you remember trying to overtake anything in that you almost had yeah, to wind, wind yeah, it what? up for 10 minutes before it could go past anything
1: now, i'm trying to remember overtaking somebody in that thing
3: <laughs> yeah <quite>. no, can't. <laughs> it was fun sitting out in the sunshine and it helped oh the road yes
1: oh yes went around corners nicely
0: <laughs> well that wraps things up for this episode of raw thanks very much everyone
5: yeah, thank Take you. Care, Thanks to all nice See, you from you. see ya. Bye. 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 Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening. That wraps things up for ARR Raw this month. And I'd like to thank my co-host, Sam Manicom, lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that cover his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manacom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published books on their motorcycle travels. You can get them anywhere you find e-books or from their website, ozziesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria. He's the author of both books and audiobooks that chronicle some of his journeys by motorcycle. He also has T-shirts and his box set and a whole bunch of other paraphernalia he sells through his website, gramfield.co.uk and of course Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited which is the hub literally for the adventure motorcycling community Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of connected travelers from around the world they also put on the hub meets just about everywhere now see a worldwide list of hub meets at horizonsunlimited.com hey we'd love your support for raw and for Adventure Rider Radio drop by our website www.adventureriderradio.com and click on support Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name's Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. See you next month. Hey, and if you don't know about it already, likely you do, we do another show called Adventure Rider Radio, found everywhere you find podcasts.